I really want to embrace like what I'm calling like a disability lens where we take the way that like disability disrupts our lives and we let that like disrupt the way we talk about news and and understand the world. This is Kutsianaki, creator and host of Down to the Struts, the podcast about disability, design, and intersectionality. The next stop on our tour of disabled activism, organizing, and media making around the world brings us to my conversation with Peter Torres Fremlin. Based in the UK, Peter is the author of Disability Debrief, a project that brings together disability news and resources from over 125 countries around the world. Peter recounted his travels as an international disability rights expert, his own personal journey into disability identity, and gives us a behind the scenes look into Disability Debrief. I myself am a dedicated debriefer, and I cannot wait to share Peter's gift of bringing together research, policy, and storytelling to lift up disabled experiences in all their forms. Okay, let's get down to it. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy we were able to make this happen. Yeah, thanks, kids. You're having beautiful conversations on this podcast. It's a real honor to be here. I wanted to start off by asking you to briefly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what led you to your work over the last many years advancing access across the world. Now, thanks, Kutia. I um, I'm British. Um, that doesn't come across. I was born uh, born in the UK. Um, I was born with a disability. Uh, type of muscular dystrophy but for the first half of my life um, until I was at university that was not a big part of my identity I would sort of uh, tell people I'm disabled if I needed something from them like I'm disabled can you help me like onto this bus or whatever it is and then through various like curiosities and accidents I got um, connected with the disability movement in Bangladesh, of all places, where I was traveling. And I got invited to a group of people that were gathering in terms of their disability. And that really set me off on a path of first studying a bit to do with disability in Brazil. And then I was like, I'd like to sort of work on this in international development um, that sort of, sort of charity is working in uh, poorer countries and the UN as well to improve conditions, and that's where I that's where I started work, and then I got into that I got into that system, got sort of deeper into various parts of the UN, working on disability rights. That's a sector that's been really growing over the past few years. It it took me, it's taken me to many different places. And that for me was always accompanied by real passion to to travel, to get to know different cultures, to learn different languages. So it's kind of combining those two. And then it's those those forces brought me into 
what I do today, which is um, creating disability debrief, which is online newsletter, and it gives a disability lens on world news, and it curates resources from uh, over 125 countries now. Your work clearly has taken you all over the world from Brazil to Bangladesh to Egypt. And I'm curious, in your observation from all of these travels, what are some of the different ways that we frame disability across cultures? That question is still something that's um, challenging to me to really reflect on those differences. The first way that really comes across is that my disability is different in each of those places. Uh, I'll give you an example. When I went to to Bangladesh for the second time, I was going to study study Bengali language and spend a longer time there. And I realized that like, in my second week, oh, there are like steps everywhere. Like I can't get anywhere independently. And I was like, what have I done? Right? Like, why am I why am I here? And then I realized very soon afterwards, I like wherever there's steps, there's still also there's also probably someone that will help you up them. And so it's a very different, like it's a very different physical environment and way people are relating around that physical environment. Another example like that, I used to kind of walk around and like fall over in public as a little sort of like way to add drama to life. And in Brazil, like people come running to help you stand up. Um, and in, in the UK, people will help you, but like, they're a bit, they might be a bit awkward about it and you might sort of <laughs> have to kind of like ease them into it. So it's a very different form, like that my body was getting treated by people, my physicality was getting treated by people. And then through the disabled people I met, I saw very different experiences. Like I saw people that had had to leave school because of their disability in Bangladesh. In Bangladesh, one of my close friends was really like hidden in a room in his um in his family home for several for several years because his parents were ashamed and were scared of what the community might say like to the extent that his friends had thought he he might be dead um and so that's just a very different set of reactions to different disabilities and you kind of see that within within countries as well you might get parts of society where like disabled people are a bit more out and about and then parts of society where where people might get hidden away and it's like it can actually be a bit like counterintuitive sometimes like richer families have more resources they can afford to hide <laughs> to like not integrate their children in some ways and in other families you, you just sort of you you have to get on with things whatever your whatever your situation is so it's really different reactions to different disabilities, really different conditions that disabled people live in. And Goody, obviously, like as well, disability isn't a stable category everywhere, right? People understand very different things from it. Um they often it's quite a quite stigmatized, uh stigmatized term, so much as people connecting with our disability movement are present in all countries over the world, and it's one of the real pleasures of working in the movement. Like when you meet sort of regular people, they may or may not be on that identity, as like also within the US and the UK, a lot of disabled people, a lot of disabled people aren't. Have you seen similarities in how 
cultural yeah, attitudes in no, disability? Unfortunately, similarities around stigma and exclusion and the way disability limits opportunities. And you kind of sort of, yeah, see see really unfortunate patterns. I was just sort of discussing with some friends yesterday this unfortunate pattern in a lot of places that when there's a disabled kid, the burden falls on the mother to sort things out and to like go like a kind of million miles to kind of fix things. And that is, like I see that in like mums in Egypt and I see that here in the UK with, with mothers that was on like there are then similarities and differences in the approaches that we use to tackle these things. I think one similarity I see is that disabled people connecting with each other is really liberatory and transformative. And I think that's been the case for both of us. But you also see that like you don't have to sort of sign up to this kind of political movement, just having like a little sports club you go to and you meet other people um, who've got similar and different disabilities can like really change your life, right? Because you see things think see things are possible. Um going back to a difference, I would also say that then there's 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 differences in some of the ways uh ways we tackle this. I think in both the US and UK we're a bit focused on like solving things through legislation, solving things through investment of financial resources. And obviously there are there are countries where the legal environment doesn't so tightly relate to day-to-day life. Like maybe if you've got a shop, you're not that worried about a building code and no one's going to sue you about it, like for instance. And maybe you don't have a lot of money, but then you can do really extraordinary things for inclusion in those contexts as well. And that's a kind that's a kind of a lesson I take and come back to someone like the UK and like, well, look, we're very well resources resourced but in some ways we are a bit stuck compared to like so some of the some of the innovation you might see in different places and do you think that some of that relates to different attitudes around dependence interdependence and independence for instance so you know interdependence is one of the principles of disability justice and it's something that we as a community really hold up and this idea that like we all depend on each other and care goes in every direction. But in the West, particularly in the U.S. and maybe even the U.K., um, there's such an emphasis on how do we create laws, funding, policies to make disabled people as independent as possible. But Perhaps in other cultures, because there's more of a concept, cultural conceptions of interdependence already exist, that there's more of that ingenuity you were describing, you know, being able to do a lot when it comes to inclusion with little resources. That is a really important factor. I kind of referred to some of that in public spaces, but you're absolutely right. Those differences, like in family and community life and just sort of like how many people are involved. I think when a kind of a more connected and community or family-based setting decides to include you, they can really include you because then they've got a lot of different resources and it, and it doesn't necessarily matter if you can't do X, Y, and Z because like there's always a lot of people to pitch in. But it means that when they decide to exclude you, it can be <laughs> it can be particularly, particularly brutal. Um I'd really like, yeah, I really 
think about that again. Another example from where I've moved back to in Colchester during the pandemic, I was like trying to connect with disabled folk. Like, do we have a sort of a folk where like, a place where disabled people like can convene and talk about shared access issues? Not really. Um, like we've got we might have sort of separate groups that are maybe meeting around. There's an MS society or there's sort of evenings, people with intellectual disabilities or whatnot, but we don't have that space of coming together that that you're right, that in certain parts of the US, the disability justice community has has made and is really an example of how that care can be put together. these experiences traveling around the world and meeting all kinds of people working and living in all kinds of communities how have they shaped your own you know personal relationship with your own disability it was through people i met in bangladesh that i got entered into the disability movement i was going up some stairs which i do sort of i did then by leaning on a banister quite quite heavily and someone walked past me as like ah oh, you're disabled i'm disabled like i've got a group of the same people, do you want to come and meet them? And I was kind of at a stage in my life where I would say yes to things like that. Um, and so I did, and I would sort of went to stay in a week and a half <laughs> and stayed for over a month. And that little, I mentioned, you have a little sort of plaque behind me mm-hmm. from a group of friends in Bangladesh, and it's from that group of friends when I went back to visit them a few years ago. So it really, it really changed my life meeting meeting disabled people around the world. And it is a real, really powerful reference as well. Could say I think I've been in the past few years like upgrading my disability through kind of progressive condition. And I sort of like you got to finesse it by having sort of serious accidents that set back your mobility. That's um that's not a recommendation. That's just sort of a, sh- a shared practice. I'm definitely not the only person doing that. And like knowing people around the world in very different situations is a real, like it's a reference that kind of saves my life because I see that even though I feel bad about a particular change, I know that on the other side of it, uh, my mate Pedro in Brazil is like having a great life like this or my colleague travels with a power wheelchair and that's that's the type of travel that I'm going to get into myself or or being well so it's something that definitely it definitely shapes me and it it really gives a motivation to continue the to continue the work as well through those through those connections and really seeing how a lot of our discrimination and exclusion that we face isn't inevitable at all and is often like sort of unnecessary or or based on oversight or the result of kind of stigma and inflexibility. And there's so much, there's so much more that can be done within within the world as it is, even, even without talking about how we want to change the world more profoundly as well. I, I completely agree. Came to DC and met so many more disabled people, particularly blind folks who are similarly situated to myself. And to see other people's disabled genius and their ingenuity and their ability to adapt and change was really a catalyst for my me, you know, 
it sort of unstuck me in a lot of ways, exactly in the way you were saying where, okay, that person is completely blind and can order an Uber. <laughs> I can do that too then. It's just yeah. so empowering, you know? You'd mentioned that thing about finding finding people in the DC community. Is is there a different transition than when, say, you're doing like this this podcast? Because then you're kind of using that as a, a launchpad to connect with disabled people far, like far beyond that community in DC. Absolutely, I think that's that's really true. As you, it's a it's a web, right? And you describe this as you're traveling around the world. You meet one person, that person connects you to another person, and that's something. I guess you see that in all communities, and perhaps I'm biased because I love my community, but it's very particular in the disability community. There's a there's a generosity. I think that that has really helped me with this podcast, especially, and I'm sure as we'll talk about in a minute with with Disability Debrief, people, when they hear what you're doing and they, you know, you, they want to share, they want to connect you. And that generosity has really held true for me, uh, both in terms of the podcast and just other aspects of my life as well, whether that's recreation, whether that's professional. Yeah, that's is that that shared mission and vocation is really transformative. It's, and it's very strong in our community, I think, because there's such a commitment to it, because it's it's necessary for our survival, our very survival, as you've often written about in in, in the newsletter. Mm. And that leads me to Disability Debrief, which you mentioned earlier as well. I, like many other thousands of people, you know, read your read the newsletter regularly. And I in order to satisfy my own personal curiosity and having you on the podcast and for our listeners, I'd love to hear more about how that was conceived and kind of what your mission was when you started it. No, thank you. That's touching. I really appreciate your your readership and how that connected us as well. So the way it started and what it is now is a bit different. Uh, it started a few years ago and I took it very much from this work perspective. I was freelancing in disability with, with international organizations and there was increased focus on internet, on disability from those organizations. So there were lots of resources coming out and I felt a bit stressed and behind and I was just seeing a lot of stuff on social media. And so I was like, I'll put the links together and share them with colleagues. So I did that on an informal basis and then it turned into the newsletter. And I was um, quite insecure about the audience. I thought, look, this is for colleagues. It's going to be quite boring. It's a lot of long reports that have come out and guidelines and whatnot. And then friends started reading it that weren't working on disability. And I was like, no, what are you doing here? Look, if you were here, if I knew you'd be here, I'd be doing it differently and whatnot because I'd internalized the idea that other people aren't interested in disability. Right. And that to talk to other people about disability, we've got to like make it really simple. And my audience showed me that that was not the case. So that was a big change for me, realizing that I could write to like both specialists that are kind of like people like yourselves that are really working on disability a lot of the time and really working to shift things. But write for people like that and for people just interested and curious about social change. And so that's where it started to shift into something a bit more journalistic and uh, something I very tentatively started bringing my own experience into it. And I sort of defended myself by doing it through bullet points and like 
oh yeah, like I, I, I went to hospital, but my my reflections about inclusive healthcare are this, mm-hmm. right? And that really changed to today, where I really want to embrace what I'm calling like a disability lens, where we take the way that disability disrupts our lives and we let that like disrupt the way we talk about news and understand the world. Um, my lived experience I've always found a sort of a little bit in in contrast to some of the ways we talk about disability through official ways. I'm aware that the policy and the activism don't don't totally speak to my daily life. So I'm trying to sort of bring those back together. And it's now something that together with uh, the community that supported it is a really big resource. It's created news from like over 125 countries around the world. So that's really unique. I have contributors, Onye. Kelly Costello is writing about climate change and disability. Tan Kwan Oh is doing like beautiful uh, reflective illustrations from Malaysia. And I'm looking to sort of steadily increase both the people that I work with and the people that I that are involved as I think that Disability gives us a new view onto the world and how it's changing. It gives us a a view on whatever issues are changing our societies. And this is is a chance to explore that and to explore it together with the people making those changes. I love that. And I love the piece about it's not just about the disability identity, but it's disability as a frame for understanding our world writ large. I'm increasingly convinced that when we look at the world through this lens, that we find solutions we wouldn't otherwise find. We find perspectives we wouldn't otherwise find. I wanted to go back to something you said earlier, though, that I think is really interesting and something that I have grappled with with my podcast. One thing that I, I sort of didn't want to do was sort of have a podcast and create a community that's sort of pandering, if you will, to a non-disabled audience. So that is solely focused on sort of, quote, educating people about disability. I wanted to create a, a source of community for disabled folks themselves. And but I have a lot of non-disabled listeners. And to some degree, I am sort of writing for both audiences. And I'm I'm curious about how you grapple with that in your work on disability. I was just reading t- today's issue. And, you know, you were talking a little bit about how inclusion also has to include non-disabled sort of voices and perspectives. And so I'm, I'm interested to hear from you how you've sort of grappled with that in your work. I, I really share something that a lot of your audience, I, I think, will share that through a lot of our history and still very present today, is that non-disabled people are like taking too many decisions over to save people's lives. That might be a family member, that might be a professional, that might be a, a government minister. And to too often decisions that limit our opportunities come from like people that aren't us. And I really, I really share that concern. And I'm really interested that that we find ways of speaking that closely relate to disability experience. In terms of that audience of people that don't identify as part of the disability movement or like as disabled people themselves, we I think we need to make a bit of an effort 
to not just preach to the choir, right? Where we've we've built up sort of structures and languages of ways to talk about things and certain sets of values that like when you're outside of our community, you then see like are oh, not even the basics of that are shared. So I think there's a challenge to communicate across that. And again, I don't see that as a distinction between disabled and non-disabled, right? Because there's there's lots of people not in the disability community that are disabled people. They might not like, or we might see them as disabled people. They might not use that term about them themselves. They might say, "Look, I've got a health condition," or "Look, yeah, I'm getting I'm getting older. I'm not disabled." Is like I'm sure we've we've heard many versions of, "Oh, I have X, Y, and Z. I'm not disabled." There's many versions of that. Mm-hmm. And we, how do we, how do we speak across that? And because how do we change like this idea that people have in disability of disability as a niche, a separate subject, right? Like that we'll go to like when we're feeling like charitable and benevolent or want to know like how these weirdos are living, but we wouldn't go to in that in that more creative and formative way that you and I see this as look, it's it's a frame that gives you a different outlook onto, onto the world. It shows you how how different people are interacting with things differently. It shows you some barriers. It shows you some adaptation. It shows you a lot of creativity and guts. I think because the, the, the benefit we have of making uh, niche disability media is that we don't have to try and get it to a mass audience where you might have to make more compromises. We can, someone someone gave me really good advice. He's like, look, you can't get out of the silo. And that was liberating. Like mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I don't get out of it. Like, let's just make it good. And if people are interested, they'll come. And that has to some extent been the journey, the journey of my, my newsletter. Because now if I was starting it now with this broader audience in mind, I might have even questioned, should I put disability in the title? Right? Or is that gonna is that gonna sort of put people off and send people down the wrong direction? Because I've been, I don't know if you've had this experience, I've been like I've worked as like the disability like specialist, quote unquote. And I go into a room with people and they hear they're having meeting with disability specialists, and they just cannot get their mind out of like that narrow idea they've come in with and when i want to talk about broader issues it, it can be really challenging like just to kind of persuade them that i'm not asking a question about disability right now i'll tie it back later <laughs> mm-hmm. but it can be that can be really really challenging to make that bridge so that's um again like why i think we have this this advantage with the media that we're making that we can just like let's just make what we're doing good and interesting it's not debatable anymore you cover disability news from 125 countries uh I, as a as a reader, I can attest it's 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 quite incredible the broad reach of what you cover and what you talk about and the voices you uplift. And so I'm curious if you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of an insider view into how you narrow that down. How do you curate the stories you want to tell given the the scope of your newsletter? One is just spreading spreading the net really wide like i'm on a lot of mailing lists i'm on a lot of google alerts 
I'm quite a lot on social media and then working around the world has has been like a great source of different connections and different sources of news. But then there's sort of different aspects to bring out. One is like I kind of really want to bring out sort of things that show people's individuality. Um, so a lot of like the bigger reports showing evidence and data. Like some of my readers want to know about that. But if there's kind of someone's got on video a little sort of an activist in Kyrgyzstan talking about how they approach disability activism like that, I'll kind of zero in on as it's then like nicer for us all to relate to and it gets us outside of some of the stereotypes. I think this thing about when we take disability as a frame to see the world out, like the way that you put it, we have to then sort of spend a little bit of time to understand broader social forces and how our community like relates to other communities. Another example, just sort of very pragmatically, sort of um, like lost in all this data. And then like, I phone up some mates in Egypt, right, just to catch up. And they're facing like a currency that has devalued 50% and like serious economic shocks of like then COVID and then the war in Ukraine and like a pretty dictatorial government that was sort of just pushing economic management into military controlled things. And they're facing that. These, these aren't necessarily disabled people that I'm speaking to, but they show me like an insight about like what life is, <laughs> what life is like for people. They remind me that the 10, 10 or 15% inflation that we faced in the UK is like, it's a bit difficult for us, but people in Egypt have faced like it's estimated 85% in a year, mm -hmm. right? And different countries around the world are going through this economic strain. This isn't news that I'm seeing from the disability sector in those countries, right? That they're, we're kind of, we can get too easily taken up on the subjects that we're always talking about. Like not not be able to kind of relate what the to to the the issue that is then probably the primary issue in people's day to day lives in a lot of countries of these you know, shifting economic conditions. So like having those wide set of different sources and like following those provocations of like oh, what a mate has told me about something then gives me a focus that I can then like approach and I can ask people I know in different places. I did a little write-up just of sort of in Bangladesh, how the how the economic situation was putting the progress we've made on disability on disability rights at risk, right? Because people are losing opportunities for livelihoods and there's no longer the same supports available. Like I really try and stretch that multiplicity that goes into it. And I really try and sort of where I can bring in different voices. I interview people, I try to get like I really encourage readers to kind of send me little comments because then I can share them in the mailbag and they just show sort of, ah, oh, like this is, I wrote about healthcare and someone from Ethiopia was like, oh, like you haven't sorted out either guys. Like what the hell? <laughs> we thought you would have fixed it and we'd learn from you. Like that we realized we're all learning together. And so, so perspectives like that really help to widen it out as well. Aside from the obvious, which is obviously to subscribe to Disability Debrief, which I would highly recommend to my listeners, what are other ways for our listeners who are interested in really connecting more deeply and engaging with disability community around the world? What what, what would your advice be to them? I really love if people signed up to the newsletter. So it's a resource that's made absolutely for free for everyone. 
because I want people to have access to that information, is a kind of pay-as-you-can situation. So if people can pay as they can, that's also really appreciated, and to share it largely and widely. In terms of how to connect with the community around the world, I think, Kutsu, that's a really great question, because I think that's... Well, I don't, like, I don't, I don't quite know the answer because I found that sort of connection through work and travel but it would be really great if we could be more creative about sort of disability movements in different countries learning from each other it would be really great if we could kind of find spaces to to share and cooperate there are sort of policy spaces there are people to connect with there's quite a lot on um on social media I, I set up a new handle, Dis Debrief. And if you look at the people it's following, then you can sort of see how some of those might be interested. And they're from US and UK as too predominant, but you'll also see lots of voices from from other places. So that's a good that's a good route into it. I I, I appreciate things like that you're doing here, could see because then a podcast like this helps people get to know. <laughs> what different people are doing and where they're at, something that you wouldn't necessarily like know in this depth unless you knew the person directly. So I think that's really important to get those things out. There's also like, it depends a little bit. If if you're interested in policy and advocacy, then that's, that's a bit easier and you can find, you can find organizations in nearly every country doing policy or advocacy work on, on disability if you're if you're more interested in the kind of cultural representation side, well, I'm also like struggling to to widen my net on that. So <laughs> I'd um, love it if listeners can let let us know where they where they broaden that view as well. Yeah, I think those are those are really good examples. Social media is something I discovered is such a has such primacy when it comes to organizing in our community and the disability community, and it's really a, a rich source of connection for people and podcasts, newsletters, along with your newsletter. I'm also a big fan of Disability Thinking by Andrew Polrong, who's a disabled journalist here in the United States, and, and Crip News from Kevin Gotkin. Those are also um, newsletters that I read. So I think those are really great places, in addition to Disability Debrief, where we can come together as a community and share information and resources. And I'm so grateful to all of you who have these fabulous newsletters that you're doing what you're doing and creating such community with it. So I think I think you covered a lot. And, and that perfectly leads me to my final question for you, which is, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, thank you. The main place to find me is disabilitydebrief.org. I'm on Twitter and and LinkedIn under the same name. On Twitter, I'm under, I'm under Desibility, which is a long South Asian story, how we got there, but it's D-E-S-I-ability. On Twitter, and yeah, I really love for people to, I really love for people to get in touch. So please sort of drop a line to say hello. Thank you so much, Peter. And we'll link to all of those in our show notes so that our listeners have access to all of those modes of reaching out to you. And I'd love to wrap up by thanking you again, Peter, for joining me from across the pond. I'm so happy we were able to make this happen. Thank you so much, Kudzi. It's an honor to be part of your conversation series. Down to the Struts was produced by Alana Nevins and me. Our social media manager is Avery Annapole, with special thanks to Claire Shanley for designing our logo, 
and to Eiffel Gangsta Beats for our theme music. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Down to the Struts. You can also get the latest updates by joining our Facebook group, Down to the Struts Podcast, and by subscribing to our newsletter, Getting Down to It on Substack. We also love hearing from you directly. You can always drop us a line at downtothestruts at gmail.com. All of these ways of connecting with us are linked through our website, downtothestruts.com. And of course, stay tuned for our next episode so that we can get back down to it.